Hey everybody, I want to thank you all for downloading this special episode of Around the World in 30 Minutes or So with uh, me, Nick Sarantos, this is Midas, and special guest AJ Signeri. Uh, we're going to be talking today on this episode about the attacks uh, in Paris, uh, the outcome of that. Uh, we're going to go through a timeline and just kind of talk about it a little bit and how it affects uh, the world going forward. Uh, normally at this point we'd be playing intro music or something like that, but I don't know if that's really the best way to get into these kinds of topics. So I'm just going to kind of stop talking now, uh, give it a few seconds of silence, and uh, then we will get into the show with Andy and AJ. We'll do that on the other side here on the Chicago Podcast Networks around the world in 30 minutes or so. Uh, please hold for a moment of silence. Hey everybody, welcome to Around the World in 30 minutes or so. It was going to be around 30 minutes Greek time, but I feel that was too pigeonholed, so we'll go with around 30 minutes or so. I am Nick Sarantos, Editor-in-Chief, Chicago Podcast Network, joined by Andy Zemidis, the Executive Director of the Hellenic American Leadership Council, and uh, we're here today uh, on a somber note. Uh, last night uh, was the horrific attacks that took place in Paris, France. Uh, across the entire city, multiple attacks, multiple locations, and uh, as of last night, CNN was reporting 154 people were, had died. Uh, that number is either going to be going up or down, depending on what we learn, but at least 100 people uh, have been killed in the City of Lights. And uh, I want to go through really quick, just to let you know what happened in case you don't. At around 8.30 p.m. Uh, England time, Two explosions were heard near the uh, Stadium de France, uh, where France was playing Germany in an international friendly. Uh, an hour later, a shootings were reported at the Camboge restaurant about five miles away from the stadium. At 10 p.m., 18 people uh, had been killed at that, and then there were reports of shootings near the Bataclan Theater. Uh, police officials confirmed that the death toll had risen to at least 26 people 10 minutes after that. At 11 p.m., the French president declared a state of national emergency and closed the borders, and the official death toll at that point was at 42 people. At 11.20, uh, French confirmed that the bombings at the stadium were suicide bombings. Then there were reports of explosions and shootings at the Bataclan Theater. As the French military were photographed making their way into the center of Paris, the police outside the Bataclan Theater stormed the building after about 10.30 p.m. Uh, the one official described carnage inside the building, saying the attackers had thrown explosives at hostages, and it was confirmed that at least 100 people were killed inside the Bataclan Theater. That number was later reported to be 80. 
and then a formal state of emergency was enacted across the country and curfews were put into place. Andy is here with me today. We're just going to kind of talk about this and the world in general for a little bit and uh, see what we can do. I, I don't know about you, Andy, but I wake up on days like this and I'm angry. I'm angry at the world. I'm angry that this kind of stuff happens. What, what are you feeling this morning? Well, angry is one. I think there's, you know, a, a range of emotions uh, out there. Uh, anger, grief, uh, depression, uh, bewilderment for those of us who've been paying attention for a long time uh, that we are not ready, uh, not expecting and not guarding against these things happening. Uh, you know, September 11th, I thought would have taught us there's no such thing as over there anymore. Uh, there were, you know, and before September 11th, let's not forget the attempt to take down the Twin Towers in the 1990s with uh, with car bombs in, in the garage. Um, there were the Charlie Hebdo attacks. There have been one-off executions and brutal murders um, in Denmark. Uh, the The almost medieval execution of uh, Van Gogh's grand grandson uh, and it's, what does it take for us uh, to pay attention and uh, I'm just worried that even this will we'll get over it something something else will come about we will we'll, we'll, we'll overreact for a little bit we'll do marches uh, and then we stop paying attention yeah and we continue to act like the problems in the Middle East have no effect on us in Europe, in the United States, and it kind of boils over into this point. And what I'm afraid of, my first thoughts when I when I heard what was going on, and I'll be honest, I was here yesterday, and then I was at the estate sale for my grandmother, so I was disconnected from the news. She doesn't have internet, and we were busy. I get in the car, I turn on sports radio, which is what I always listen to in the dirt when I'm driving, and. They mentioned that something had happened in Paris, and in my American arrogance, basically dismissed it as it's another school shooting. Now, I know it wasn't a school shooting, but in my head, I put it in that same, there was another, I did not understand the, the breadth and scope of it until almost four hours later, I was at home, and I finally signed on a news website to get ready for our show today, and really understood how big this thing was, and how scary it is, and what I thought of was just, we did a show last week about, in many ways, the, I don't want to use the word encouraging, but the fact that Europe had in some way taken some steps forward to help all of these refugees who were coming over through Greece and everything, and while they were doing it slowly, they were, the intention was there. Now I don't know if that's going to be the case anymore, because it, do you really want to just be well opening your borders to people from Syria and Iraq, not knowing who's necessarily coming into your country? And I'm afraid that that effort will not be stopped. France has already sealed its borders. There are rumors going around this morning that other uh, Poland has also done the same. You know, and it's it's a scary time because now you have, in many ways, a group of people who need help, and by refusing to help them, you're almost creating more people willing to fight on the side of ISIS. It's 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 just a horrible double-edged sword. Do you disagree with me on that, or no? I think there's well, one. It's too early to tell. I think yeah, you I, know I, there's there's uh, I can 
I'll agree with you. I think it's almost a certainty that uh, there's going to be greater resistance to uh, more refugees coming in. Um, that's one. Two, there's going to be, the process is going to be harder. Yes. Definitely. Uh, and uh, there will be more tracking, more more fingerprinting, more some t type of vetting um, of these people uh, who are coming across. I think there's going to, it, it'll be interesting, bear watching uh, the G20, in, which is in Turkey uh, in the next few days. And then there's also the the environmental uh, meeting that they're having in Paris in at the Paris. end of the month. Yeah, but, but the G20 in the next few days in Turkey, you can almost bet it's going to uh, focus on, on terrorism. And, of course, there's a the factor Turkey borders, you know, has one of the longest borders with, uh, with ISIS. And... Uh, they also are letting the refugees through their borders. They have refugee camps. Um, the question of whether they're fighting ISIS or the Kurds or whether they're letting the Kurds who to date have been the most effective fighters against ISIS be properly armed. Uh, all that's going to be front page uh, right now. Uh, and then there's a question of uh, what type of uprising is happening within the Middle East itself to fight ISIS. Uh, we, we alluded to this in a, in a previous interview. This is an, this is an inter-Islamic civil war as much as it is a war between Islam uh, and the West. Right? It's, it's not all of Islam against right. the West. It's, it's, it's the Islamic State and Al-Qaeda. I mean, it's, it's significant, you know, but, uh, you know, we're going to have to figure out a way to get Islam itself to take on the Islamic State because we are not going to... Uh, fly a flag over Mecca or Tehran or anywhere else. So um, there is at some point we have to start investing in allies in the ground who are anti-ISIS. There's a, uh, a question that I would ask of, of a lot of people who are involved in this crisis, which is, tell me what the solution is to stop this from happening and still protect civil liberties. Because that's that's really what the question is going to start to become, isn't it? I mean, we we live here in the United States, and to me, the scariest thing about what happened last night was that it happened in multiple locations. I mean, a lot of people are talking about this today, that you had attacks in multiple locations at multiple times, staggered throughout the city, which implies planning, which implies directive from some form of leader, whether in the country or out of it, ISIS this morning has taken credit for it, and I guess in a, in a, in a country like that we live in, where in a lot of states, if you want to buy an assault rifle, all you've got to do is walk into a Walmart, you know, what stops a group of people getting a message over the internet to, at 3 o'clock on whatever day, go out and do this? And that, to me, is the part that is, as a citizen of the United States, I, I am afraid of as well. But I'm also a Democrat, and I'm also big into supporting people's civil liberties, and I don't want—I don't want us to lose our liberties in the defense of security. But I don't know what the answer is at this point. I, I don't see on a day like this, it's wrong to just jump to all of the conclusions, maybe, and we should spend more time, you know, talking about what happened to the individual people. But you can't help but kind of see what what goes forward in the future. And I like—I I agree with what you're saying that there's going to be a 
we'll overreact for a little bit and then it'll go away and then something else will happen and it comes back and I really hope we can find that medium where we're concerned about it but we don't swing the pendulum in any direction well, again it's it's a very dynamic situation because you know the, the you know the, the talk about uh, communication I mean uh, the methods of communication are always changing right in, in 2001 social media uh, the rise of ISIS on social media was not mirrored that's not how al-qaeda came about you know there were that was a little more secretive and you had to worry about phone taps and all the rest and then if you if you compare that to 93 right and not have the same level of cell phones and all the rest so one we always have to be on on our feet in terms of law enforcement and intelligence gathering by the way because um, we also overreact to whatever Snowden or WikiLeaks or every, anything else taught us. Uh, we're going to have to invest in changing our law enforcement and our intelligence gathering to match with what's going on uh, on the ground uh, in the Middle East or in communities in the West. If you're not if you're not tracking what they're writing on social media, if if you're not able to track cell phones and the rest, well, yeah, you're always going to be a couple uh, a couple steps behind. So you know there will be people right now who probably will be will be arguing that this mass gathering of cell phone data you know weakened us. Um, I'm not sure that it played any any role in this particular case right now, but. We we have to be on our toes in terms of uh, information gathering. Which uh, so you are one of those people who, and I don't mean to say it like in a negative way, but you're one of the people who supported what the NSA was doing to a point with the massive amount of data that they were collecting. Or are you against that? Um, no, I, I I think well one I would I would do I I think they could have done it with warrants, right? right. I, I I think they could have. I think they should have. Um, now. Probably where I would disagree with a lot of the people who favor civil liberties uh, probably would disagree with me on this point. I think, you know, those warrants should be granted with relative ease. Uh, I also, I mean, me personally, I don't care if they download my cell phone data because no, I'm I, not doing any, anything wrong. But, uh, you know, I, I'll tell you this. Uh, the NSA did not show it, and maybe maybe they have the proof they didn't show us. If they saved one life, it was probably worth it. Uh, I, I, I agree with that. I, I, and I have no problem with the easy pass, like with warrants that are easy to get. The only reason I want the warrants is so that you can track who you're checking up on. So that later on there's a record of it, and you can yeah. go back and know what's been No, I agree. I, I also think it's you know due process of law, and being faithful to the rule of law is, is very important. Uh, for our way of life with everything that happened last night and you know you have a lot of connections uh in europe in in politics here with this kind of attack it, with, with any of your experience what is generally going to be happening on the activism front as far as like you're with the hellenic american leadership council do you at this point, try to mobilize any of your contacts, any of your information to help out? Do you do anything along those lines? I'm just curious. Well, well, right before, and you've even seen during the intro, I was checking some messages because, you know, there are reports, some coming out of uh, Greece and some coming out of 
France that uh, that are indicating that perhaps you know people who participated in in these uh, in uh, these attacks were at some point among the refugees who came through Greece, right? So frankly, this makes us want to double down our efforts in terms of uh, getting assistance to Greece to help register, identify, and track, you know, who's a refugee, who's an economic migrant, who may not be, right? I mean, we have a clear threat. We ha we've had a promise from ISIS that they'll send, you know, one person with every group of, you know, 10 or 20 or 100 refugees. And, you know, there were eight suicide bombers last night, right? Even if you triple that number, quadruple that number how many people were involved right yeah so take it 32 40 who cares make it 40 people there are 2500 people a day landing on lesbos right, right. The, last year there was 34,000 people migrants in 2014 the whole year in greece there was you know 10 times that so far this year so this is a sieve and we have to figure out how to balance the humanitarian aspects of it, the people who are really trying to escape and, and have a better life, but at the same time, making sure we're guarding against a threat that is explicit. This is not a threat we're imagining. They, they said that they're going to do this. And they've backed up their threats. I mean, let's face it, they've... In my lifetime... Well, we have to see if... I mean, there, there's still the, the issue of... We have to confirm that there are people who came recently as refugees. This, well, this no, no, could no, be no, home, not, this I, could be homegrown. No, I, I agree well. with that, that and, and and that's an important distinction that needs to be made uh, in in the days coming up. Is was this domestic terrorism or foreign terrorism? And if these guys were French citizens who grew up in the country, who then were radicalized in country. Whether or not they received directives uh, from the outside, that is still domestic terrorism. You know that is within. Your well, if you look at the Charlie case, they you know they were French citizens, but they went and they got training abroad. Right. So you know, I I think in these particular cases, and especially because of the demographics of Europe and its closeness to the Middle East, and how many people are going back and forth, I think this uh, distinction between domestic terrorism and foreign terrorism uh, may be a very very tricky line. Uh, it's not like comparing September 11th no, 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 no. to the I, Oklahoma I agree, City bombings. The reason I'm saying it the way that I am is it's it's important to know because if if it was planned and executed in the country of France, that's a huge difference than it was planned, you know, and then they put people in the refugees, sent them over the borders. That because if they're doing that versus we used the internet and radicalized these guys and then they went out and carried out acts versus we trained these guys in Syria then we sent them through with refugees they came up through Greece, they got to Paris and then executed this attack. Those are two, just militarily and foreign you know, policy wise, two very different things. Because if that's what's happening you are essentially talking about an unofficial invasion through the refugee crisis, which I know is, the, is, is kind of what's happening anyway but to do it and carry out an act at that point, I, you can't blame countries for not wanting refugees to be coming into their country anymore. Because if that's if if you can if you can definitively show that line, 
that is going to change policies in a lot of European yeah, countries. Yeah, I, I think even if you don't definitively that, show Well, that's it, what I'm saying. I mean, you know, at this point, again, it's... It's real early. It's a first day. In France, a president declared, President Hollande de declared three days of national mourning. But it will be interesting to say, you know, a week from now, ten days from now, you know, two weeks from now, what are the effects on the polls? And is Marie Le Pen gaining, uh, you know, support uh, in her quest for the French presidency? And that was, yeah. And she's the conservative candidate, correct? No, she's far, she's the far right candidate, the right. National Front, right? So she's to the right of the uh, of the conservative party. The the conservative, uh, the previous conservative president was Sarkozy. Her father uh, started this National Front. They were a xenophobic, uh, anti-European party, just short of. Like the Golden Dawn in in, in Greece, uh, without the the kind of gangster background. Uh, well, now she's well, she well, in well, rhetoric. They, they always have a gangster background. Yeah, she uh, she has moderated her her tone. Uh, actually, expelled her dad from the party. Uh, has tried to clean up the anti-Semitic roots of the party, but still is a xenophobic and anti-European uh, thought-dominated uh, party. Uh, but you know, right now it'll be interesting to see: does she pick up greater support? Does Orban in Hungary? Who has decided to build the uh, the wall? Pick up thought uh, or pick up support. What happens in Greece uh, with the refugees? Does Golden Dawn get a spike? Does the right wing coalition partner in the government uh, get a little more influence? Uh, I want to ask you about this because there has been in the last few years a. Uh, at least reported here in the United States, a rise in r extreme right-wing, uh, anti-Semitic, xenophobic political parties in a lot of European countries. In your dealings with that, do you know what's causing it, or have you heard from people about what's causing that, that swing? And can you explain exactly what... It isn't just in one country that this is happening. It's happening in multiple countries. Can you kind of explain what's going on kind of across Europe, I, I feel bad putting you on the spot to speak for all of Europe. But. No, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it follows a pattern. These, these parties always existed, always. They're, they're not new. Yeah. I said National Front in France is a long-standing party. Golden Dawn is from the 1980s. A lot of these, they were just not registering elsewhere. They've been building, I think, but what, since the 80s, right? But it, it, yeah, it, it, but it, what happened is you had the combination, you, you had the perfect storm ha happening, uh, and using perfect, I guess, inappropriately here, but you had the economic crisis hitting at the same time uh, that this refugee crisis happens. You're already you already have tremendous economic dislocation uh, in these states. You have people as every time when you have these um, uh, these economic crises, you have people. Feeling that they're being cheated, being cheated by politicians, being cheated. Somebody's to blame. Then on top of it, you bring these extra 
burdens by having to take care of refugees because it's a state that's taking care of refugees. The refugees don't come and plop down and all of a sudden the Red Cross takes care of everything and all you're yeah. doing is giving them um, a space, right? You have, you know, rightly or wrongly, the rise in crime in all these societies is being attributed to the refugees um, as much if not more as to the economic crisis. So all of this is happening at once. Uh, and there's somebody out there who is not giving you policy prescriptions. He's just telling you, you know, here's the bad guys. Uh, they go out and they do things like, again, Golden Dawn in Greece was doing things like, we will be the bodyguards for old ladies going to the bank or going uh, to the grocery store. Or if some if somebody's not, you know, if there's a... If there's a, a gang of, you know, Pakistanis or Bangladeshis making a lot of noise down your street, give us a call. We'll we'll go break up the party. Uh, a lot of these economies, or a lot of these countries, especially the Southern European countries, have a black market economy, right? So you see a lot of... Um, a lot of the migrants and the refugees working in that black market economy. So that leads... Or that... Uh, that lends more credibility to the uh, the mentality that they're cheating me, cheating my economy. Uh, you know, they're not paying taxes either. So um, it's just everything. It's the Murphy's law. All that could go wrong is is going wrong, and somebody's stepping into that gap. Nobody and the traditional parties are just haven't governed Europe right, right. It, You've had in right-wing countries and in left-wing countries the the economic crisis take hold. Right in France, you've had Sarkozy and Hollande dealing with the economic crisis. In Greece, you've had New Democracy and Pasok and Syriza not being able to get their hands uh, on this. In in England, you've had you know Cameron and the Conservatives have a double dip recession. So there's no. There is no traditional ideology that can say we have a hold uh, on this problem. So you're, it, it's lending an opportunity to the extremists uh, to come in. And the only extremists who have a, a hard line against everything that's happening right, are the right-wingers. They're anti-Europe. So nobody's happy with Europe right yeah, now. I, just want, I, just want, anti- I, want, I want to stop you for a second. You, you've said that phrase several times, and I think that a lot of people, myself included, don't know exactly what that means. What do you mean by anti-Europe? Well, they're anti-European anti- Union. They, don't wanna, they do not want to cede any sovereignty to the European Union, any national sovereignty. Uh, they believe that the austerity is only because of the, the the power of the European Union and its dominance by Germany. And so they believe in this, you know, fantasy that if the European Union just disappeared and, and whether it be Greece or France or anybody else was able to be fully sovereign in economics and, and politics, that all the problems would go away. We're coming up on the end of this thing, and I kind of want to uh, tie it on this. And I do, I do want to say, though, and I don't get your reaction to it as well, I will say that there is, it sounds weird, but the one positive thing that I would say that I heard today and related to all of this is 
it's very easy for guys like you and me who follow the news, who follow politics, who follow policy, to get, like I said, I started off the show saying I wake up today and I'm angry. I'm angry that this stuff happens. I'm angry that we allow it to continue. But the one positive thing is I'm on my way to, the stu- uh, I'm on my way to meet you today. And I'm listening to 780, which is different from me. Like I said, I'm usually sports radio, but today's a news day, so I'm listening to the news. And they reported, and it it was a beautiful thing, that at all of the blood banks in France, the lines are hours long because people want to help. And I will simply say that as much as we look at a day like today as this horrible thing has happened, the silver lining of it is that the human instinct of, of good people to help is still there. And to show that they're not afraid, you see all these rallies from last night in in squares and in the streets, holding up the banners. We we are not afraid. Uh, you see on social media everybody changing their f- profile pictures uh, with with the colors of France. Uh, you see landmarks all over the world, including the top of Freedom Tower, changing their colors. Yes, to the color of the French flag, and it's great. The human instinct is there, but the most striking picture for me was actually last night. They turned off all the lights on the Eiffel Tower, and that pitch black. And it's that black and that evil that we are facing, and we're just not honest about it. If this passes, we're not honest about it, and. We, by, by honest, you mean acknowledging that this is not this is not a socio political issue. This is not people who we're not fighting against somebody who has. And, it, and it's hard to say this, but Al Qaeda, in all of their forms up until recently, despite everything that they did, they had legitimate gripes. I, I don't know how else to say it like that. There's no. No, I don't think they did. I just said. Well, no, no, no. But I'm talking like they. They. But they had. They had. Things that they complained about that they believed in. United States military in, in Mecca. I, I'm not saying that they, they're right. But it wasn't. It wasn't. I don't think they had any legitimacy. I just think, and I'll, I'll, I'll tie this to Al-Qaeda. For, for 10 years, and again, we don't react here. We overreact. And, you know, from the left, we liked so much to kind of point out that anything George Bush did was wrong. So even when he was saying something right, you know, we want to discount it. We've been facing evil for a long time. 20 years ago, 20 years ago, a brilliant political scientist called Sam Huntington wrote an article called The Clash of Civilizations. Right? And everybody attacked him, saying he was a chauvinist. He was saying, you know, the West and Islam, the West is better than Islam, and the West and Islam and Orthodoxy and Confucianism, they're, they're, uh, they're destined to go to war with each other. And clearly the people who were saying that didn't read the article. And, and then to follow a book, which was even better. And he was saying, no, we... We are right now just found, we find ourselves in this moment in history that the main ideologies are cultural and civilizational. It's not, you know, capitalism versus communism anymore. It's, it's this. And this is how we avoid it. Right? This is, we have to consolidate the West and be truly Western. Uh, so that means, you know, again, this is why when we talked about, you know, the warrants, warrants rather than just mass uh, downloading of data. 
if we're going to say we're rule of law, let's be rule of law. If we're going to, if we're going to be Western culture uh, and secular and respectful of all, you know, religions, let's be true to ourselves. Right? When when you look at some of the the founding document of the containment theory against the Soviet Union, probably the most important uh, article written during the Cold War was the sources of Soviet conduct, which at the time it appeared it was just uh, under the author X. We find out later that it's George Kennan, and he talked about how we eventually win the Cold War. And, you know, people said, focus a lot about containment of the Soviet Union, but the most important thing, he said, America must be America, right? The West must be Western. We have to respect what what has defined us as, as Western and not just become another another form of tyrants. But we also need to be able to call evil evil and not to, you know, I remember when Al-Qaeda, this is why I had to jump in when you said they had some legitimate gripes. I remember Osama bin Laden talk about, you know, after September 11th, you know, he gave his list of gripes and he included, you know, Israel and the, and the Palestinians. He doesn't care. They don't care about the Palestinians. They don't. You know, I know this because they've let them be refugees since 1948. And in the Arab countries, they don't treat the Palestinians well either. We had refugees in Cyprus in 1974. And we integrated them into society. And you could not tell 40 years later. You couldn't tell 20 years later who was a refugee and who wasn't. Uh, no, they're evil. You talked about it last week. They're looking forward to the end of times. I, I really do believe that part of what they wanted with yesterday, they want Marie Le Pen to win. They want Donald Trump or somebody else to win here. They want the war to come to their you know, doorstep. To their doorstep, and they want to bring it to ours. And you know, even what happened yesterday, they point to places in Islamic ideology and in the Quran they say this is allowed because here because once the infidel comes in our land then we can go poison their water in their fields that's what is meant we can smash their heads with stone right this is this is what this is what they want and if if we want to blame ourselves fine anybody wants to blame western policy that's great so I, I always I always like to tell people fine let, let's say Israel disappeared tomorrow Let's say we did, had no bases in Kuwait. Do you think the game is over? No. And, and that's a fair point. I, but here's the thing. You you say evil, and they are. I mean, any, anything you read about what goes on in, in the Islamic State, and I, I, I wonder, man, if, it, if part of it is that in Western culture we are so, I don't want to say secular, because I don't think that that's always what does it, but are we just afraid of uh, the idea that evil is real? Like, I'm honestly, God, like, even in, even in the worst cases in the United States of serial killers or, you know, domestic terrorists, a Timothy McVeigh, a Charlie's, a Charles Manson, here in the United States, we automatically go, yeah, but that guy's just crazy, right? Like, there's something wrong with his brain physically, uh, you know, chemically. There's something wrong with their brain that makes them this way. And we're not willing to accept the idea that sometimes they are just bad people. I think we like, we so believe in the idea of victories and of wins, right? Everything is a win, right? You win in business, you win in sports, you, uh, that we like the idea of a finality or a linear view of history. 
we like progress, right? You know, the civil rights movement was progress. Uh, you know, winning World War II, we made progress in all these, uh, in in all parts of our history. I don't think we can get our mind around the fact that history is really cyclical. Uh, that this has all happened used, before, and it this will is, happen again. This, this has happened before. Uh, it can happen again. It doesn't have to, but it can. Uh, and since I brought up Clash of Civilizations, it's important uh, to note that at the same time that that was written, right before that, the hottest article in you know communism had just fell. You know there was this whole talk about new world order. What's going to take the What's going to take the place of the the battle between uh, capitalism and communism, and um, uh, the there was another political scientist called Francis Fukuyama who wrote an article said the end of history and the last man, and he basically said the great battles of history are over these yeah. great ideological battles of history, and Clash of Civilizations said no they're not. Clearly, they're not. Twenty years ago, and you got to read that book. I mean, I I actually, I I actually, the the book called Sam Huntington, and it's called The Clash of Civilizations. Uh, And I think it's really one of the most important books written in our lifetime because you look at you look at what he calls out and and read his appendices, read his foot his footnotes. But he says, "Hey, you know, youth bulges." In the Middle East, our problem, when you got, you know, the majority of your population is under 35 male without job prospects, that's a problem. In, in many ways, it's very similar to what's going on in the south side of Chicago. Yes. Yeah, no, no. Same that's, thing. That's why gangs have, that's, that's why gangs have such fertile recruiting ground uh, in, in the south side of Chicago. And uh, that's less ideological. That, to me, that's an easier fix. You bring jobs there. You bring the. Uh, this so one, this one's a little different. These guys are end timers. Yes. You know, ISIS. They. they yeah, it's an apocalyptic timers. cult yeah. gone global and armed. Yeah. It's 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 Jim Jones in in yeah. in South America. It's those yeah. guys with the Halley's comet. Except there's hundreds of thousands yeah. of them, and and they're armed. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we have to come to. We have to come to terms with the fact, you don't want to call it war on terrorism, don't call it. We get hung up on semantics here, uh, but we have to really get into a mindset that this is a generational battle and it's on two fronts. It's one, us becoming the best of what we can be, right? Protect, you can protect this country and protect civil liberties at once. You, it's you, hard you work. can be you can be secular and no culture, right? Yeah. Being secular doesn't necessarily mean being anti-Christian, and it doesn't mean being anti-learning the Bible or learning the Quran or just being Reading agnostic IJ, whatever. or whatever it is. Uh, I'm a Jedi person. Yeah, so. Uh, so, but uh, the the fact is, is we have to win that, but we also have to take the fight to these guys you you cannot let them develop in uh in a vacuum you can't let them uh sit there and take take advantage of power vacuums and you can't i mean it, it's i really feel sorry you know, kind of for the president because i think he does he, he is trying to beat them but he called them a jv team 
last year, and he took muscle right after. What people didn't pay attention to is yesterday, before the attacks, he did a press conference where he said ISIS is largely contained. You know, I don't know whether we're just playing to our own polls here. We are our, playing to our own polls, uh, I believe. You that. know, we have There's, to, in world affairs, we have to take a long view. We have to take a long a, view. For those of you who don't follow the news very often, I, I would recommend that if you want to get caught up on the major stories that are going on in the world, sometimes they're more individualistic, but for the most part, uh, go to PBS. PBS does the best news coverage in the United States, I, I would argue. And uh, they do. They have a show on there called Frontline. You've seen parodies of it in other things. They do remarkable documentaries, and they did one which was called The Rise of ISIS. And there's a really disturbing part in there where... The president of the United States, Barack Obama, is, 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 gives a press conference where he says, under no circumstances will we put boots on the ground to fight ISIS. And then it cuts to a general who used to serve uh, under Obama who says, the problem with making that statement is that it, it backs the politician into the corner. Right? It doesn't, he can change his mind. He's a human being. You, that, that's your right as a human being to do. But when you publicly state we will not put troops on the ground, any change in that becomes, well, the president was lying to us. And that's a problem, because what really happened is he got new information. And because he said something in the way the American political system works, if you change your mind on something, well, then you were wrong in the first place. But I, I don't, and My problem with it is you never, you never announce everything you might do to the enemy. They're the enemy. Right. If we don't want to think about enemies, well, they're the enemy. So you don't... Uh, Frankly, you know, Senator McCain was right in this in this criticism from the beginning of this administration. You want to withdraw from Iraq? Fine. Don't declare a timetable. You want to withdraw from Afghanistan? Do don't declare a timetable. These people, this is their home. They'll wait you out. Yeah. They don't have to. It's not like, oh, I have to stick around in a foreign land until you leave. They're there, whether you're there or not. And they can plan, and clearly they've been planning. And, uh, you know, so... I think we have to we have to get a little more savvy, uh, and frankly, diplomacy and world politics, the greatest achievements in, in on those fronts historically, have been uh, done in secret. So, you know, let's try to take a little bit of our politics out of this um, this strategy. We don't have a strategy. I'm constantly on both in both parties. I am very worried about this argument in the U.S., this debate in the U.S. between isolation and engagement. Uh, I think Sanders and Paul and Cruz and Trump, uh, they, they represent uh, a growing isolationist sentiment. And what Paris should have taught us, what we should still remember from September 11th, there is no such thing as just over there. We cannot seal ourselves off from no, the world it, and I still believe that let, let's say Israel didn't exist let's say we had no bases in the Middle East we even closed down Diego Garcia somebody is going to try to take us down and I think that's uh, as good a place to end as any uh, except for this I think that going out I would like to play the French National Anthem Let's go. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Around the World in 30 Minutes or So. I'm Nick Serranos, joined by his Venus Director of the Hellenic American Leadership Council. We will be... And today we are all French. And today we are all French. Uh, 
I, I don't know any French to say anything as a slogan. So here's the French National Anthem, ladies and gentlemen. We'll talk to you guys next week. Chicago Podcast Network at gmail.com. Um, thank you so much. Goodbye.